Into the Night with Rick Ballou on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. As hybrid, the combination of Baloo and Hacker, whether it's a 3-4 defense, whether it's a 4-3 defense, or if you go back to the days of uh, Caddyshack, you can bring up Carl Spackler where you can play 18 holes on it, then go out after and get stoned to the bejesus belts. <laughs> that is another definition of hybrid. Rick Baloo, Hacker Nation. The show is produced by R.J. Saunders, it's been a fun week, Hacker, but we got three hours to go. We got a lot to cover here. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. It is a big weekend for the Jacksonville Jaguars as they try to get back on the winning track, try to get rid of this four-game losing streak and what amounts to a must-win, right? There is a scenario, as we've been talking about all week, where they could win the AFC South on Sunday. They could also be potentially eliminated from winning the AFC South on Sunday. So we're down to must-win time. And still, Rick, a lot of questions surrounding the availability of quarterback Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, no doubt that'll be the big part of our conversation today. They'll meet for the eighth time on Sunday. Of course, both organizations, franchises came in in 1995. Immediate success for both organizations. Both went to the AFC-NFC Championship game a year later in 1996. But they've only met seven times. Carolina up 4-3. Uh, lifetime Jacksonville obviously can even that up on Sunday. They also have a lifetime home advantage, two games to one. The last time they met, I remember it, it was a frigid day in Carolina, 2019. It was a high-scoring affair, 34-27, went the way of the Panthers, but most of those players are gone uh, from 2019. And and this Carolina team is, uh, talent-wise, perhaps one of the worst in the NFL, although they do have bonafide pro bowlers on it, particularly on the defensive side with Brian Burns coming off the edge, a guy who's wanted that major uh, contract extension and and hasn't gotten it. And, you know, Derek Brown inside, that's been Jacksonville's biggest issue as far as I'm concerned. They just can't run the ball. It's tough to solve problems when you're going to be running at Derek Brown. Yeah, no, Derek Brown's a good player, and obviously Luke Fortner in the interior of that line's got their work cut out for him. But again, Travis Etienne getting six carries last week against Tampa is unacceptable. I don't care how ineffective the running game was. you got to give Travis Etienne more than six touches out of the backfield. Now, 1 o'clock on Sunday, Rick, is interesting. The Jaguars are playing, obviously. The Texans will play host to the Titans. The Colts will play host to the Raiders. Obviously, the team is focusing on beating Carolina. But you, myself, Jaguar fans, how much scoreboard watching do you intend doing on Sunday watching Houston and Indianapolis? Well, you you know what's really cool about today's NFL is like every other play, there's a penalty. And then if (laughs) not, there's a review. And I hate to say it this way, but there's an injury. Gives us ample amount of time to be able to multitask. It's great. You can look at the scoreboards. You can check your phone. I'll be involved with everything play-by-play-by-play. Really, all three games going on at the same time. You hope that that is not what the Jaguars are doing. They're on the field and on the sideline, but obviously fans will do it. And the stadium actually does a really nice job with that. They're really interactive. I remember having conversations about this you know, a decade ago with Mark Lamping, how they would put in those video screens. I, I guess for the most part, it's for fantasy 
right? I don't do the fantasy thing. I know that you do, but it, it allows you to um, be aware. Sometimes you can't pull stuff up on your phone, right? With Wi-Fi, if you go to a place that has a lot of folks, we get the uh, uh, the code. We get the press box code. Let me give that to you right now. It's no kidding. <laughs> Just wanted to see if anyone over there was uh, listening because the buildings are closed. We got the Gator Bowl going on right now between Clemson and Kentucky. But yeah, it's um. It's got kind of a March Madness feel to it. You know, you got all these games going on at once. You may be focused on one game, but you, you keep your eyes on the other three games that are going on at the same time. So um, maybe it makes a difference. It didn't last week when Jacksonville took the field, knowing that Indianapolis and Houston had both lost. It made no difference at all. I would assume most Jaguar fans know this. A perfect scenario on Sunday, the Jaguars win. Houston loses, Indy loses, your division champions. The worst case scenario, Jacksonville loses, Houston and Indy both win, you are eliminated from the AFC South. I would think, Rick, it's going to land somewhere in the middle. I would think Houston or Indy will win. I don't know if both of them will win. Houston's banged up. Tennessee's coming in there. Tennessee's still playing hard. The Colts are playing host to a red-hot Las Vegas Raiders team that's still in the mix to try to squeeze in the playoffs as a wild card. So I'm not sure if both of them win, but at the end of the day, as long as Jacksonville wins, that's really all that matters. December of 2023 has been really weird. And in a lot of senses, it's been just awful. I'll give you two examples. If I was to say to you even three weeks ago, Florida State and Georgia are meeting in the Orange Bowl you would have thought they were playing for the semifinals of a college football playoff. Mm-hmm. They're not. They're playing in what is now a meaningless bowl game. What if I was to say to you on December 31st, the Jaguars would get knocked out of the playoffs after being 8-3 and three, and now all of a sudden losing four straight late November in their first three games in the month of December? Just, think, just kind of put that into perspective. Let's say you, got, say you went on a bender. You know, and you, you you passed out and you woke up a couple of days later and you're being taught, all right, it's Florida State, Georgia, and it's, you know, the Jaguars, you know, up against it in week 17, game 16. You would have thought national title and what are the Jaguars playing for? Home field, uh, number one seed. No, they're playing for their playoff lives. And I hate to even start the show off like this, but if they were to lose on Sunday and if they were to get knocked out of the postseason, either this Sunday or next Sunday, it would be the biggest late-season collapse in franchise history. I cannot think of a bigger one. Now, they've had late-season comebacks last year. Oh, yeah. 1996. Was the best of them all. Now, they collapsed to an extent in 2017. They lost their last two, but they had already had the division wrapped up. This would be a collapse of franchise historical proportions mm-hmm. if they were to get left out of the playoffs. Yeah, the biggest collapse that this organization has ever had was 2018 after going 3-1 and one in the month of September. I think it was arguably the greatest regular season month, historically speaking, in Duval. Remember New England came in, Edelman was suspended. I think they lost a 9-6 game to like the New York Jets, or it might have been Tennessee. Yeah, that was the Keelan Cole catch is the one thing I remember from that New yeah. England game. They were 3-1 and one in September, and they lost one game like 9-6. Mm-hmm. I think it was Tennessee. Yeah, no, it was the game that um, did Mariota, like Mariota wasn't playing, and he was the backup, and oh, the and starting ran. quarterback got knocked out, so yeah. Mariota came in and beat us. Is that when he ran for like 80 yeah. yards? Okay, yeah. yeah. So they, anyway, they were 3-1. and one. 
And, and that was right after the AFC Championship game loss. And then, of course, they went on and lost seven straight. So, I, yeah, to date, that is their biggest regular season collapse. This team was 8-3. and three. They're now 8-7. and seven, And um, there's no way. There's no way that they're going to lose to a 2-13 and 13 Carolina Panther team on Sunday. Even with C.J. Beathard? Um, I still think they're a better team. I do, too. I think they should win with Beathard. By the way, the only one I could think of... Carolina's beaten up. Yeah, no, they are. They got secondary problems. There's no doubt. The only late season collapse, and I'm using late season. Obviously, it's where we are. You're right about 2018. The one that comes to mind is 2010. They were 8-5 and five after they beat the Raiders, and they lost three games in a row. Was that Gerard? Uh, it was Gerard. yeah, 2010. They went from 8-5 and five to 8-8 eight and eight and missed the postseason. Okay. But this would be even bigger than that. Now, getting back to Carolina, again, we look at the injury report around the league. If you look at the Titans and the Texans game, there's 25 guys combined on that injury report, 12 from both yep. teams. I mean, it is insane. Jacksonville, amazingly enough, after all the awful injuries this team has suffered all year, reasonably healthy going into New yep. Year's Eve. Now, they got a big question with Trevor, obviously, which is going to over overflow the list. And Christian Kirk still being on IR, and those are two big, big guys. But aside from them, Rick, your Jacksonville Jaguar defense is going to be playing on Sunday. None of those guys are injured. That's your defense. And to have your defense this late in the year, there are not a lot of teams that can say that. 17 games last year. I think it was the first tw 12 or 13 games this year. I'll have to go back on it. So anyway, it was around 30 you know, 29, 30, 31 games, regular season games. The Jaguars' defense allowed 21.6 points. Consistent. You knew every week that if you scored 22 or more, you were going to win. Regular season last year, and again, the first dozen or so, maybe Baker's dozen this year. Then it got away from them. They, they, they gave up, you know, 30-plus and, and what have you, and it, it wasn't all their fault. There was way too many turnovers. By the Jaguars. We know right now that Trevor Lawrence has 19 turnovers and, and 23 touchdowns. All right, he's been sacked 35 times. But all of a sudden, knowing what your D was going to give you, uh, that's changed. And, and again, I feel comfortable about saying this. It's not all their fault. It's been bad field positioning. It's been too many turnovers. Uh, but we, we've seen the script change right in front of our eyes. Um, the way to fix that, I've always believed, is the lineup and run, and if you can run, it changes the entire complexion of the game. The most important thing, it allows your defense to rest. Your offense gets out there. All of a sudden, you can make the defense try to guess what you are going to do if you can run the football. Hey, Travis Etienne, 16 carries for 43 yards in his last two games. It's not just working. Now, on top of that, you look at all the Trevor Lawrence questions, and, and all of a sudden, I get it, the media – the fan base is really uptight here. I'm sure you received it yesterday because I did. A lot of people telling me that Doug Peterson lied. Okay? He didn't lie. Listen, I understand lying to some extent. I mean, every day in sports and in politics and I'm sure at home or whatever, grown-ass men lie. Okay? They, they just do. They lie all the time. Doug Peterson's not going to lie that Trevor Lawrence is going to practice, and then all of a sudden, an hour later, have it come out that he did not practice. Something happened. Is it miscommunication? Or was there a setback 
that did happen with Trevor Lawrence at the time he walked out onto the field and tried to pick up a football where all of a sudden he was like, I can't throw it today. Yeah, we don't have that answer. And Doug Peterson yesterday said he was going to be limited. He was going to do individual work. He didn't say anything about taking any sort of team reps. He said individual work. On the official practice report, a lot of people were surprised it was a did not practice. That's two did not practices for Trevor that happened last week because he was in the NFL-sanctioned concussion protocol. But as we talked about earlier this week, Rick, an ankle's one thing, a knee is one thing, a concussion is one thing. When you are a quarterback in the National Football League, I'm going to assume that you need your arm in pretty good standing going into a game. And when you sprain the AC joint in your shoulder, your throwing shoulder, that is going to be the most complicated injury Trevor's had all year. And and, and I told you on Tuesday, I had my doubts as to whether he was going to go. If it were me and Trevor's at 75%, if the doctor comes to me and I'm Doug Peterson and the trainers say, Doug, Trevor, could he play? Yes, he will not be 100%. He'll probably be 75, 80% of what he normally is, and potentially he could re-aggravate it in the game. I would play C.J. Beathard in this game. Carolina, to me, you should be able to win this game with C.J. Beathard. I would love to give Lawrence seven extra days to get ready for what is a likely must-win against Tennessee. Yeah, and you've been you've been on that all week. I, I just don't think they, they think that way. As a matter of fact, I'm convinced they do not think that way. If Trevor Lawrence gets cleared and he says he can go, he's in. I, I, I think it's as simple as that. It is disappointing because he shouldn't have been playing, and I understand injuries can happen at any point. I mean, you watch Derek Harvey uh, tear his knee up here, uh, you know, during rookie minicamp. Um, Dante Fowler. Dante Fowler, excuse yeah. me. Um, you know, I mean, injuries, I, I, I got so aggravated with my alma mater because they showed up and they weren't ready and they had their biggest deficit of the season down 13 nothing to southern, northern, eastern Alabama <laughs> whoever the hell they were playing. They were down 13 nothing. so you had to ask your quarterback, Jordan Travis, to go out and make a play, okay? And it's one thing if you get injured against Miami or you get injured against Florida. It's another thing when you have to ask your quarterback, who at that point, Florida State should have been up already 17 nothing or 21 nothing, where he's on the bench. And Tate Rod- but that ruins his year. That ruins the Knowles year. I, I, I have a problem with that. Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence shouldn't have been on the field shouldn't have they were down by three possessions there was no chance that they were coming back and it's it's beyond being stubborn and that's when he got hurt but the message has been sent knee ankle head shoulder this man has gotten completely beaten up week after week after week if that does not if this is not crystal clear to Trent Bulky. Listen up, Trent. Offensive line. Offensive line. Offensive line. Offensive line. The Jaguars have the worst offensive line in the NFL. And now you got some of this fan base saying, oh, Trevor's not it. Trevor's not the guy. Give him an offensive line. If you give him an offensive line, all of a sudden you have a rushing attack. Give him some protection. He's not getting any of it. No, you're exactly right. And if you're an offensive lineman, now they're likely to get Cam Robinson back from what it looks like. Cam Robinson's likely to be your left tackle on Sunday, which is a welcomed addition because when he's been out there, he's probably been the best offensive lineman the Jaguars have had. 
you got to take a good long look in the mirror if you're a Jaguar offensive lineman. And they've heard the criticism this week, obviously. You just screamed it into the mic, and you're not the only one. I've been critical. We've all been critical. If there's ever a circle the wagons moment for the Jacksonville Jaguar offensive line questioning their their football spirit this week, they need to come out there and they need to establish something on Sunday. Because if it is C.J. Beathard, again, we do not know yet, but if it is a backup quarterback's best friend, is a rushing attack. And you've got to take some of the pressure off of Beathard. Schmoon has vision. They give us opening comments each and every night on my show, Into the Night. They're doing it as well right here on this Friday. Maybe you have bad vision. And in the case of the way teams around here have been playing as of late, that may be a good thing. The flip side of all of that, mm -mm. you don't want to go through life with blurry vision, with less than perfect vision. Now, at Schmunez Vision, they're more than just your one stop. They're a family organization, and I mean that with all sincerity, okay? This is a practice that cares. It's why people have gone out from all over to find them once again. More than 37 years' worth of experience with Dr. Neil Schmunez, and we're talking about high-quality medical and surgical eye care, that including yours truly, surgery on my right eye eight and a half years ago, just a normal checkup. He discovered something in the eye that needed to be removed immediately, had surgery the very next morning, and there has never been an issue since. Dr. Catherine Schmunez, fellowship trained in cornea, cataract surgery, or refractive surgery, they are simply the best. Here's what I want you to do. Look at their website, schmunezvision.com, schmunezvision.com. Their phone number as well, 299-2906, Schmunez Vision Care. You can see uh, great folks there. And again, they wish you a very happy and safe new year. All right, let me come back. we got a lot to get into. We, we need to spend more on, on Trevor Lawrence here. And uh, Doug Peterson didn't lie. I mean, you don't lie about this. Okay, gamemanship, embellishment. Call it. He didn't lie about this. Something happened. And that's what we're trying to figure out. What in the heck happened? So let's come back. Let's visit it. He's Hacker. I'm Baloo. RJ Saunders is uh, producing the program. You can get us on the text line, 641-1010, and that's brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. Obviously, if it were a defensive guy, say like Andre Sisco who had a shoulder earlier, you know, you can harness those things and kind of keep things nice and tight, and he can still practice, right? Uh, as long as you don't bang him around and all that. Well, with the quarterback, you're handing the ball off, you know, with that right arm. You're throwing with the right arm. You're, you're stressing the shoulder a little bit more. So um, those are all things you got to be careful of. And it's really a tolerance thing, you know, more than anything else. But you still want to be careful, you know, every day you're out there. Doug Peterson yesterday talking about Trevor Lawrence. Now, the thought was Trevor was going to be limited in practice, do some individual work. Did not practice at all, according to the Jaguar injury report, which certainly puts his status for Sunday in doubt. Blue and Hacker here with you till 3 o'clock on 1010XL. And, Rick, clearly that complicates things on Sunday. Yes, it is the 2-13 and 13 Carolina Panthers. Yes, the Jaguars are currently a touchdown favorite. But how much of that changes if Trevor Lawrence doesn't go? Well, it's a big change. And for what it's worth, I think Jacksonville wins regardless, uh, even if it is C.J. Beathard. I, I think he's more than a capable backup. I think you'll see much more as far as the shorter uh, routes are concerned. And when it's all said and done, if you look at actual completion percentage, it may be better with Beathard than it is with Lawrence. Now, the average per uh, would certainly be – a, uh, a a sizable number 
in my opinion. But, you know, something happened yesterday, and, and I understand your angst. I understand that Jaguar fans right now are frustrated. You were 8-3. and three. You were talking about a bye. You were talking about home field the whole way through. Now, all of a sudden, you're 8-7, and seven, and you could be out. You could be heading in the New Year's Day out of the playoffs. Now, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay, I think the Jags are going to win. But the whole Doug Peterson's not telling the truth. Doug Peterson is lying. That, that's just foolish. I understand gamemanship. We talk about it before the draft. We talk about it before free agency. Um, telling the truth and, and skirting the truth comes into play in a lot of different aspects, uh, professionally speaking, in life. And, and why empty everything out so your opponent knows what you are going to do? But no one would be stupid enough to go to the podium and say, Trevor Lawrence will be limited today. He will work in individual groups. And then all of a sudden, you get out on the practice field an hour later, and you hear that he is unable to go. That's not a lie. That is miscommunication, which would be the best scenario. The worst scenario, again, something happened either in the locker room or, or getting loose, stretching out, working with the trainers, picked up the ball, threw one, and all of a sudden it was like, no, I can't go. So let's set aside the, you know, the fiction here to what is realistic. Interestingly enough, Trevor Lawrence was the only guy on the roster that was eligible to practice yesterday that did not. Everybody else was limited or full go, which again speaks to the fact the Jaguars – are actually getting a little healthier than they have been in the last couple of weeks. And you mentioned something, the angst of the Jaguar fans. Look, 8-3 and three seems like a long time ago, and, and quite frankly, it was. These last four losses have stung. But again, you look at these four losses. Cincinnati, you complete a pass to Calvin Ridley with C.J. Beathard inside the five-yard line in overtime. Odds are you punch it in there, gets called back with a holding penalty, you ultimately lose the game 34-31. Cleveland, in their last two games, destroyed Houston last or last week, destroyed the Jets last night, yet Jacksonville, despite four turnovers, was right there with Cleveland. Cleveland wins the game 31-27. Baltimore, you could not have had a worse first half. Time management, missed field goals, turnovers, yet it's 10-7 Baltimore over Jacksonville, late in the third, and then last week, I just think the bottom fell out and you get boat raced by Tampa. But the point is, four losses in a row, Rick, and they've been awful. In at least two and a half of those four games, Jaguars were right there, man, right there. Now, I understand you think about the most recent thing, and the most recent thing is Tampa beating the pants off of you last week. But aside from that Tampa game, those other three, Baltimore, Cleveland, Cincy, a bounce here, a bounce there could have gone either way. And that's the way the league is. I mean, it is. The league comes down to a play here, a play there, a mistake here, a mistake there. And, you know, you look at all those comfort behind victories a year ago by the Jaguars, and they've let some get away this year outside of, obviously, Tampa Bay and San Francisco. And, you know, you look at their offensive numbers, and it's it's really uh, mysterious to me. I You know, I projected Trevor Lawrence way north of 4,000 yards. I thought Trevor Lawrence at a minimum 25 touchdowns, probably 30. I figured Travis Etienne way over 1,000 yards this year. I thought the combination of Christian Kirk and Calvin Ridley would both give you 1,000 yards receiving. 
this year. Uh, it has not happened. I, th- I think a lot of that, again, is, is my issue with the offensive line. The 7405 says, Baloo, I know you want to be different, but screaming O-line sounds ridiculous. The O-line is responsible for one of Trevor's injuries. The other three were him running outside of the pocket and putting his own self at risk when the game was out of reach. All right, first things first. I'm clearly different. Secondly, he's leaving the pocket because the offensive line is brutal. He has the fastest release in the NFL. It's because he has to get rid of the football. His escapability, his, his, his maneuvering out of the pocket is, I think, the one part of the Trevor Lawrence game that doesn't get enough respect, doesn't get enough credit. Can you imagine if that was Gardner Minshew back there? Can you imagine if that was Nick Foles back there? If that was Blake Bortles back there? Instead of 35 sacks, man, you'd have 50 or more. Oh, Joe Flacco's thriving in Cleveland. Imagine Joe Flacco behind the Jaguar offensive line. He would have no chance. He'd be back in retirement. Right, exactly. His season would be over. So, I mean, you could spin this any way you want. But the biggest problem that the Jaguars have is this offensive line. And and, and, and look at all the changes. I mean, Russell Wilson's now going to be gone. Okay, look at all the quarterback changes. that We're, we're going to see maybe half the league change quarterbacks again in 2024. You know what team is not going to change quarterback? The Jaguars, man. They have a 24-year-old. Give him an offensive line. And until you cash out on Trevor Lawrence, give him an offensive line. Now, I think Trent Baalke did a real good job skill position-wise. I think he's got backs, tight ends, wide receivers. Now, maybe a little bit less there. We see running backs all over the place come up and perform well. We see wide receivers who are late picks who are solid number threes, number fours, number fives. Give him an offensive line. Give him the best offensive line that you can, and then measure him at that particular point. The Jaguars need wholesale changes along the line. The line's been terrible. It's not just a Trevor Lawrence thing. They don't pass block very well anyway, but the reason they can't run the ball in large part is because of the offensive line, that, and they're simply not calling running plays once they fall behind. There's a lot of issues on this team. I'll give Balky the benefit of the doubt in one regard. Whether they were going to do it or not, based on the Cam Robinson suspension last offseason, Anton Harrison's been a good pick. Mm Mm-hmm. You could argue, of all the rookie tackles taken in round one last year, Anton Harrison's been the best one Mm -hmm. in the NFL, and I don't think you would be laughed at for that argument. So they have their franchise right tackle in Anton Harrison. I think Ezra Cleveland, now he's a free agent, Ezra Cleveland, since he arrived here, has been their best interior offensive lineman, which was a Trent Baalke move at the trade deadline. Um, Walker Little, I think, deserves somewhere to be on the line I'm not exactly sure where, whether he's your future left tackle or not. He's another bulky pick. So I'm okay with Little, Harrison, Cleveland. I was okay with Sheriff last year. It's clear injuries and age are starting to take over. Luke Fortner, you got to take a long look in the mirror with Luke Fortner because I know he's going to be on the roster next year. I don't know if he should be your starting center next year. And then, again, we've talked about Cam Robinson, Rick, all week. It'll cost you. Can they renegotiate? Can, can can you convince Cam to do something to lower his cap figure? I would love to see Cam Robinson back because, again, when he's been healthy, he's probably been their best offensive line. Yeah, it, it's um, it's going to, and I don't want this to be 
you know, I don't want this to get here before it needs to. You know, before last year and now this year, uh, here it is, what, one of the final days of, uh, of December. We were already deep in the free agency in the draft. Isn't it great that games are still relevant? This is still a first-place team. But this offseason is going to be magnificent. There's no shortage of 15 decisions that Trent Bulky is going to have to make, especially on that offensive and defensive line. Some decisions that are going to hurt the fan base, too. I Some mean, tough decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, na- names that you have become – as far as I'm concerned, there's no way Cam Robinson's coming back. As far as I'm concerned, there's no way Zay Jones is coming back. I don't see how Big Foley uh, can come back. Um, are you going to slap a franchise tag on Josh Allen? You're going to pick up a fifth-year option on Travis Etienne. Forever it's been give give Trevor, just give him a blank check and have him fill it in. Well, are, are you so quick now to all of a sudden get this deal done with Trevor Lawrence beginning in March of 2024, or do you let him play out the fourth year of his rookie contract? I mean, forever I've been in the camp of pay him, pay him, pay him. It's going to end up costing you less down the road. Well depending on how you can mix in and around the cap, does it make more sense maybe just to let him play year four under the rookie salary structure for a first-round pick and use that money to go out and get yourself another offensive lineman? This is going to be an incredibly difficult decision. It decisions that Trent Bulky is going to have to make. And I know when we say that, a great deal of our audience is like, oh, no, I don't want Bulky to be here. I don't want him to be the guy making these decisions. So you have that on top of everything I just said. You're exactly right, though, about one thing. There's still a lot to take care of this year, but these next couple of weeks will determine what you're going to do in the offseason. Let me ask you about Calvin Ridley. Have you made your decision, the Rick Ballou decision, on Calvin Ridley, or can you be swayed in the next couple of games depending on what happens as far as his future here? I think I'm going to let him go. He just turned 29. Uh, it was a disappointing year. A lot of these yards, including last Sunday, were garbage yards. With analytics that they have, you know, you look at RBIs. You get 100 RBIs in a season. It's great. Well, how many of those RBIs came when you were up 7-1 or you were down 7-1? Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Talk about that in the NBA. If you get 20 a night, all right, are you getting 20 a night, but you're down by 20? late in the fourth quarter, and you're getting your 20 because you've taken 22 shots uh, compared to only taking, you know, 12 or 13 shots. Uh, that's why I always say that numbers lie, and there's ways that you can that you can cook the books. Uh, Calvin Ridley, it hasn't worked. I was ready to put this game – I was ready to put him in the ring of honor in August. I, I've never seen anything like it. He was so dominant, and he's not getting any younger. I, I think that, you know, his setback to the media – when question about route running is alarming, and that's here. Imagine if he was in Philadelphia, if he was in New England, if he was in New York, if he was in Chicago. He had a problem with it here. If he was back in Atlanta. Okay. Yeah. We know he's had some issues, and I, I, I uh, you know, want the best of him with that. But is he a mentally tough football player? Are you going to pay this wide receiver top? Five wide receiver money after what we've seen based on 15 games? I say no. Here's my thing with Calvin Ridley. 66 grabs, 871 yards, seven touchdowns in 15 weeks. Obviously, he's going to be a focal point 
for the remainder of this season, hopefully a playoff run, depending on the situation with Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. If he stays on average over the next two weeks, his regular season will have somewhere around 75 catches for roughly 950 yards and eight or nine touchdowns. I think, to be fair, perhaps our expectation for Calvin Ridley was a little multiplied. The guy had not played football in 23 months, had not played a game that mattered in 23 months. That is a long, long time. And if you were to tell us at the beginning of the year, 75 grabs, 900 yards, nine touchdowns, I think people would have been disappointed just like they are now. But I don't know if they should be disappointed. I think after two years off, Rick, 75 for 909 scores, that's not that bad, is it? Okay, it's not that bad, but I just said numbers lie. Let me ask you if these numbers lie. He's 30th in receiving yards. 30th. Yeah. You want to pay him top five money for a guy? I mean – you think he's going to want top five money? They gave they gave Cam Robinson top tackle money. He registered in like the 30s out of 64 tackles. Are you going to pay him top five, top 10 money for a guy who is 30th in receiving yards? Uh, let's head to this break here, but just let me see. Receptions, where he's at right now. Uh, Calvin Wrigley, where are you? Calvin Wrigley, Calvin Wrigley. He's 33rd in receptions. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's a good point. Again, now and he just turned twenty nine. Yeah, I, I expected him to be up there with Alave and Moore and Adams and Jamar. All right, Jamar Chase. All right, not that or Stephon Diggs. Not that you know Michael Pittman, uh, Ar St. Brown. Um, you know, I'm not going to say Tyree Kill, uh, CD Lamb, AJ. I'm not going to put him in that category. But I thought he'd be part of the next list. I just guess he's not. 75 grabs after two years off. Does it not make you a little bit curious now that he's back in it and back in the, the no. flow of things, what 2024 potentially yeah, could be? That's fair. And, and you know what? I hate this. I hate this. I was bra- bragging about this guy. This isn't easy for me to say. Rooting for Calvin Wrigley for all of the right reasons. I just don't think – I never thought I would say this. Christian Kirk is a better wide receiver than Calvin Wrigley. Certainly more important than offense. He is offense. a better yeah. wide receiver. I think he is. I, we got much more to do. He's Hacker on Baloo. Voila. All right, with you today till 3 o'clock. My name's Rick Baloo alongside Ryan the Hacker Green. Typically with you, I'm 6 to 8, Hacker on at 8. And uh, we'll pick that up again next week. Enjoyed it in this week, though. Having a lot of fun rounding out the remainder of 2023. You have got to be kidding me. This year just absolutely flew by. And this will be our final weekday. Of course, we have tomorrow. A lot of bowl games today and tomorrow. Right now, down the road, Kentucky up 7-3 over Clemson. They're just underway at the Gator Bowl, uh, Gator bowl to begin the uh, the second quarter, I actually enjoyed last night's game, Oklahoma-Arizona. Uh, the GF is an Oklahoma grad. Uh, that kicked off at 9.15. Yes, it did. I, it I, went early into the morning. I made the first quarter and a half of that one. It was a good bowl game. Both really young quarterbacks. Uh, Arizona, what, Pac-12 player of the year, and then the, the youngster who replaced um, Gabriel, who's on his way now to Oregon. I can't believe he's got another year. He's off to Oregon, but he made a lot of mistakes last night, but you can tell he's got 
a tremendous amount of ability. So, um, hey, college football winding down. Some big games tomorrow. We'll talk a little bit about Florida State and Georgia as well as all the matchups coming up on Monday, including the semifinals, which are really interesting. All right, waiting on the official word uh, injury report-wise from the Jaguars and the latest on Trevor Lawrence, but you have a couple of nuggets on the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, our guy Mike Kay, Charlotte Observer, who we had on earlier in the week covering Carolina. Cornerback Troy Hill for the Panthers is out. He's in concussion protocol, did not get out of the protocol in time. Questionable for Carolina on Sunday, J.C. Horn, Marquise Haynes, Iki Aquanu, and Frankie Louvu. So there are certainly a lot of questions for Carolina. The only guy that's officially out right now is one of their starting cornerbacks in Troy Hill. I did want to remind people, Rick, as well, final uh, weekday here of 2023. However, Dave Campo, Leon Searcy, and myself will indeed have a New Year's Eve fifth quarter. We will be on two hours after the Jaguars and the Panthers go final, probably right around 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock on Sunday. So before that ball drops in Times Square, hopefully we'll be talking about a Jaguar victory here on 1010XL. Yeah, pregame at 8 a.m., through the game as well, postgame, and as you just heard, the fifth quarter. So everything that is Jaguars-related right here in your home of the Jags, 1010 on the a.m., 92.5 on the FM. But what it's worth, I would have drafted Icky Aquan. That was my guy. And, and if, if not, you, Evan Neal. If you talk to Carolina people, he's been a disappointment uh, to yes, this point. And, but you know what? That's part of it. This isn't a perfect science. Look at all these Jaguar first-round draft picks. We can go back to – we talked about the Tony Baselli, Kerry Collins uh, 1995 draft with these two expansion teams came into the NFL uh, right next to each other, Jacksonville and Carolina. Jacksonville did it completely – it was a totally different look. Remember how the Jaguars built this team, kind of uh, street-free agents, plan B-free agents, where – Carolina spent a ton of money and brought in high-priced guys. It, it worked for them both. They, yeah. they made it to you know, championship Sunday, both organizations did, in year two. But if, if you were to go from 95 through 2023, how many first-round picks have really worked? And, and that's the risk. Trayvon Walker's improved drastically in year two. A lot of our audience doesn't care. They didn't want to hear that. They may be switching the dial right now. Oh, my God, they're going to stop bragging about Trayvon Walker. Um, you may miss next year if you go offensive line. But you have to try, Hacker. You've got to fix the weakest part of your football team. You do, and it's certainly the offensive line I would consider to be the weakest. I don't think I'm breaking any news there. The Trayvon Walker thing, people need to understand that he is getting better. You may not like to hear that. He's doubled his sack totally at three and a half as a rookie. He's got seven this year, and in fact, the last couple of games, he's starting to play pretty well. Nobody wants to talk about that because of the four-game losing streak. Quickly, Rick, on Sunday, more than likely, history will be made here in Jacksonville. I don't know if we've talked enough about Evan Ingram this week. Evan Ingram, 98 catches on the year. He is set to become only the second Jaguar player in franchise history to have 100 or more catches in a year. Jimmy Smith did it twice. Nobody else has done it. Ingram is two catches away, and in fact, I believe Ingram will only be the seventh tight end ever in the history of the NFL to have 100 catches in a single season. I mean, mm. you're in rarefied air with Gates and Gonzalez and Kelsey mm. and Gronk, and I mean, that's where Ingram I, is. I don't think Gronk and Kelsey have gone north of 100. And they haven't? I'd have to look. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't think so. Apparently, he's only going to be the seventh guy, so... 
of all the four-game losing streak and of all the negativity this week, Evan Ingram has been a flat-out stud this year. Yeah, um, there's no question. And, and the you know, the two knocks against him that, uh, by the way, Njoku had a heck of a game last night. He had night. a great game. He, he, yeah. Here's a tight end that, you know, it's taken a little bit of time. He was a first-round pick back in, uh, I want to say, 2017, 2018. I think this is his seventh year in Cleveland. It's taken him a little bit, but he is finally evolving into, you know, one of the best tight ends in the NFL. Uh, the two labels that Evan Ingram had to shed, number one, staying healthy, and number two, dropping footballs. And he's been able to uh, avoid both of those issues. So he has become the safety valve uh, for Trevor Lawrence. I, I, I did think he would hit pay dirt a little bit more. A little bit more. I don't think he actually scored a touchdown until, like, it was either two or three weeks ago. But it been a very good year. And, you know, Luke Farrell is a a good blocking tight end. I, I don't think we've heard at all that this organization is missing Chris Manhurts. Uh, that, again, becomes that much more of a mystery as to why they went out and used a second-round draft pick on Brenton Strange. And, and, and these are these are unavoidable. For Trent Bulky, okay, and and I don't want you to mis misconstrue what I'm trying to say. I I don't want to take Trent Bulky and and put him in a body uh, body bag and throw him out the front door. I I'm, I'm not big on just firing people. I'm not. He's trying to do his job, but he's missed in the last two drafts. He he's missed early. He missed with Luke Fortner. He missed with Chad Chad Muma. He missed with Brenton Strange. He missed with Tank Bigsby. He missed with the linebacker uh, out of Fort Ventral Miller. Ventral, well, he, he got hurt. Right. He got hurt, but he got hurt all the time. I, I loved him at Florida. Yeah. Guy got hurt all the time. He did. I'll, I'll be very curious to see how he does next year. So they gave him a red shirt year. Right. Him, Cooper Hodges as well. Yeah. Got hurt. You don't really know. Yeah, Hodges is a seventh round pick. But so, you know, in. in I'm already getting it. We mentioned the draft yesterday. I got get Keon Coleman in the first round. You know, go out and get and I'm like, no. No. Get offensive linemen. Yeah. I'm I, I I've been yelling about this for the last two years. I'm gonna be able to fake shows here. <laughs> I'm gonna leave at like seven o'clock every night and just do the second hour of my show. It's gonna be the same show. It's like a columnist who already has it written. He just needs to fill in the final score and a and a bit here and a bit there. That is my entire rant this offseason. I, I am not going to allow people to tell me that they need receivers and they need linebackers. They need offensive line, period. End of story. Looked up the tight end situation. So Evan Ingram, 98 catches, will become one of very few tight ends to have 100 catches in a year. I know you remember this one, Rick, back in 1961, Lionel Taylor for the Denver Broncos had 100 catches on the nose. Uh, Dallas Clark, 2009, mm-hmm. exactly 100 catches. Tony Gonzalez in 04. How about Ben Coates? 102. Looking for Coates. Kelsey's actually done it a few times. Okay. Kelsey's done it three times. He's had over 100 catches. Uh, Zach Ertz is the all-time leader for single-season receptions by tight ends with 116. He did that. With Doug Peterson. And that was the only 1,000-yard skill position guy that Doug Peterson had. And the other three tight ends. In those five years. Jason Witten has done it, Mark Andrews, and Darren Waller. So it is a very – Rob Gronkowski never had 100 catches in a year. I don't think Rob Gronkowski had more than 80. 
I'm scrolling. I don't see him. He's not in the 90s. Yeah. So Evan Ingram, I mean, celebrate Evan Ingram for making history on Sunday. Boy, Shannon Sharp not on that list, huh? Shannon Sharp, no. I don't see him. Billy Joe Dupree not on that list. Now, ben, you mentioned Ben Coates. Ben Coates had 96 catches okay. back in 1994. No uh, Mark Bravaro. No, no Mark. I love Mark Bravaro. Uh-huh. Jersey number for Mark Bravaro? No Pete Mitchell? No Pete Mitchell. Jersey number? Hell, I don't even know the jersey number of Evan Ingram. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I, am like the, I am like the least jersey number. People all the, people be like, hey, what would you think about their uniform? I was a sideline reporter, and, and you could offer me like, you know, $2,500 walking off the field into the tunnel. What jersey and pants are they wearing? I'd have no idea. I've always been weird with jersey I'm, numbers. I am the most... I don't know numbers, and I and I don't know uniform combination. It's just, it's never been something that has really interested me. I, I don't care what people think with me saying it. I'm just being honest as I always am. I have no, I don't even know what number Evan Ingram is. Now let me ask you this: What so, number was Mark Bravaro though? Eighty nine. I believe he was eighty nine. Wasn't nope. Mercedes Lewis eighty nine? Mercedes Lewis ah, was eighty nine. May, maybe I'm lying then. Now let me ask you this, and we'll get more on this on the other side. Evan Ingram's ninety eight catches so far. He has eight hundred and twenty four yards in those ninety eight catches. That's eight point four yards per grab. Everybody that's had a hundred catches from the tight end position before him. Save one, Jason Witten, averaged over 11 yards a catch. Wow. Now, Ingram is catching the ball. He's not getting a lot of yardage. Mm. He's not even going to be a 1,000-yard receiver, more than likely, with I'm, those 100-plus grabs. Kellen Winslow, the original, was really good, too. I'm surprised he's not anywhere near that list, probably because Joyner and Jefferson and Muncie caught so many balls with, uh, with Dan Fouts and Air. Coriel. All right, coming up next, hour number two, much more on the Jags. We're going to get to some college football as well, particularly the Alabama-Michigan game. I think that's the one that means the most uh, to our listening audience. Not a lot of UW fans out there, probably not a lot of Texas Longhorn fans out there. That's going to be an outstanding game as well. But the Michigan-Bama matchup, kind of a contrast in styles. I think Michigan would like it to be very low scoring. Bama, perhaps, uh, to open things up a little bit. We'll get into that during our second hour. If you want to join the conversation, the best way to do it is on the text line. That number is 641-1010, and it's brought to you by Lifetime Enclosures. All right, Gator Bowl going on right now down the road. At the bank, of course, that'll be the same setting for the matchup coming up Sunday between the Jaguars and the Panthers. Clemson up 10-7, eight minutes to go. Second quarter, the Hurricanes were a loser yesterday during the Bad Boy Mowers pinstripe bowl from the Bronx. Rutgers, they get their first winning season in, uh, in quite some time. Do you realize it's been 15 years since the U has won a bowl game? Is that right? 15 years. Wow, I did not know that. You got to go back to 2007, the last time they won a bowl game. Or actually, let me, let me correct myself. Since 2007, the late Bobby Bowden has more bowl wins than Miami. Jeez. Well, what's interesting about that, and, and Miami in particular, the next time Mario Cristobal takes the field, it will be against Billy Napier. Uh-huh. August 31st, I believe, Ben Hill Griffin Stadium in Gainesville. 
I'm not sure if there is a hot seat matchup week one of a college football season, but I would think Mario Cristobal and Coral Gables and certainly Billy Napier in Gainesville, they both really, really, really need that one opening night. I think this Ja'Kerry Brown kid can can be okay. He obviously needs more experience. He needs to be seasoned. Uh, Tyler Van Dyke left. He's on his way to uh, Wisconsin. You talk about a culture shock. Can you imagine going from South Beach to Madison? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's... We saw a couple kids from Madison go to Florida State and Florida, respectively. Right, Graham Mertz among them. Say no call. And what was his name? Holcomb? Or I can't even remember the guy who went to Florida State a, uh, a, a few years ago. Um, <laughs> that's how bad things have been or were over there. I don't even remember who the – what the hell was his name? Three or four years ago from Wisconsin, who was actually the starting quarterback at Florida State. Oh, um, oh, 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 oh. I don't know who you're talking about. Yeah. His name escapes me. I'll get to it in a moment. Um, quickly, the bowl games. I watched a little bit of Miami yesterday, and then we talked about the nightcap last night. But clearly my two favorite moments of bowl season to this point have been the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Yeah. I enjoyed that one with the Pop-Tart oh, yeah. uh, mascot that uh, came out. So cute. He was, was making yeah. the rounds on social media. And then I did not know this. Maybe I'm late to the party, but apparently the winner of the Duke's Mayo Bowl gets lathered up with Duke's mayonnaise. Has that always been a thing? That's a waste. That is unbelievably yeah. gross. Isn't and there if, a group like? Isn't there like a PETA group that would be upset with that mayo wise? I don't know. They're going to start picketing. If I'm the winning coach and I get told that you're going to lather me up with Duke's mayonnaise, I might have a, a reservation about that. Alex Hornibrook, ladies Horn- and gentlemen. All right. I mean, with a name like that, okay, he should be a late night star. Uh, let's. Uh, he played in 2019. He went 84 for 122. He completed 68.9 percent of his passes for 968 yards, seven touchdowns, two picks, three years at Wisconsin, and he played in 2019 at Florida State from Westchester, Pennsylvania. I mean, isn't that isn't that like Joe Namath? Dan Marino, uh, Dan Kendra company, the great Alex Hornibrook. Alex Hornibrook, man, got after it. Now, look, we're on college football now. We are just over 24 hours and change away from Florida State walking out of that tunnel in South Florida tomorrow for the Orange Bowl. I mean, you're a Florida State guy. You're an alum. You bleed garnet and gold. Are are you fired up for this matchup? No. No, I'm not at all, and – I don't even know what to expect. Um, I I kind of want to right now say it's going to be a 48-10 game. And and in that I'm not being a smart ass. I'm being I'm being honest. Florida State gave up 29 points once this year. They gave up 24 twice. Outside of that, they were rock solid. They had the best defense in the second half of any college football team. They gave up 4.8 points a game in the final 30 minutes of play. But they're all gone. They've all left. And, you know, Florida State didn't have the style points. Florida State didn't look sexy against Louisville. We heard all the criticism. Brock Glenn looked completely skittish in that start. He's your starter against this Georgia defense that is all PO'd, and they should be after being left out. Dylan McNamara is the backup. He's a walk-on. You're talking about a true freshman and a redshirt freshman. So, no, I have zero expectations 
uh, for Florida State. The month of December cannot get any worse for Mike Norvell, even though he just won a coaching award, which was very well uh, deserved. I, I think all you can hope for for Florida State is this number one. Those who do play, they don't get injured. And can you at least keep it respectable? Because Twitter and everyone else, there are going to be those who are such no minds. Okay, there's so many idiots out there on social media that they are going to use this and say, see, Florida State never should have been in the college football playoff. They lost by 35 points to Georgia, not even understanding how many guys are not playing in this game. Two thoughts. Number one, it's sad state of affairs in college football, and it's where we are, and we've asked for this with the transfer portal and NIL and a playoff, that you have two teams that combine 25-1 and one from our area, two of the main four that we cover, and it's being referenced as a meaningless game tomorrow between number five Florida State and number six Georgia. Thankfully, this will never happen again because this is the end of an era in college football. Beginning next year with a 12-team playoff, you will never have a, quote, meaningless game between two teams that are a combined 25-1. and one. It will be a playoff game next year for the right to continue on and play for a national title. And I love it because every year, look, we love college football and you're a diehard and I'm a diehard. And I would imagine most people listening to us right now are diehards to some capacity, but it is the most ridiculous thing that we go 13 weeks, or I guess 14 weeks fighting, scratching and clawing in the college football world week after week, great game after great game. And in 14 weeks, we decide, all right, These two teams, or now these four teams, have earned the right to compete for a national title. But now let's take 30 days off. 30 days off, a month. Imagine explaining the game of college football to somebody that doesn't know anything about what you're talking about and say, for 14 weeks, you're going to have the greatest theater, the greatest reality television imaginable. And then when all's said and done, four teams are left standing, and we're going to pause for 30 days and then close it out. College football is like a drunk uncle, all right? And early on, it's just phenomenal. He's, he's, he's making everyone laugh with outstanding jokes, and he's the life of the party. Then all of a sudden, he becomes three sheets to the wind, and he passes out on the couch, and you can't get rid of him. You got young children that are like, what's uh, Uncle Harry doing uh, puking on the couch? It, th- there's no explanation for how poor this sport is and for how wrong this sport has treated its players and its fans. It's a joke year after year after year after year. Kentucky just scored. They're now up 14-10 over Clemson, second quarter. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Who cares? You got Oregon State-Notre Dame coming up. Do you realize that if this Oregon State-Notre Dame game was in week eight during the college football season, how much hype – this would have had with DJ Uyunglele and Sam Hartman. Neither one of the two are playing, okay? As far as I know, maybe Hartman is. I don't even know. I, mean, I don't even care. Uh, Memphis, Iowa State, Missouri, Ohio State. Missouri had a great year. The Buckeyes couldn't beat Michigan again. If this was a regular season game, number seven against number nine, it would have all the hype. But they, they've totally done this to themselves uh, by, by zero leadership and – what has happened to this game now is is really scary. I, I think the only aspect that is going to breathe fresh air into college football is a 12-team college football playoff. And frankly, I think they still got it wrong. 
It should be a 16-team college football playoff as far as I am concerned. They're going to get an extra week off. It's the only sport where you get this extra week off. Even the NFL has gone from two buys per conference to one team uh, per, or you know one uh, club per conference. Obviously, they're doing that out of greed uh, with more money. But just think of how much they've lost over the years. And these bowl games... I don't understand why. What do you have, 41 of them? That's ridiculous, yeah. Uh, why do we and why do we have these ball games? Unless you are a degenerate gambler or it's your school. You think anyone in their right mind has taken off early for work today uh, across the country? I'm sure some did because they went to the Gator Bowl here. But you think across the country, people are bailing out of work early on a Friday to watch Clemson, Kentucky? Well, that's the thing. It's like people always say, and I used to be one of these guys, and I've come full circle. People always say, well, you're going to wish you had these games in May. No, I'm not. I'm not going to wish that I could watch Ohio and Toledo go at it in May when 30 guys from each team are in the transfer portal and they're playing 27 true freshmen apiece in a bowl game in front of 5,000 people in a 50,000-seat stadium. To me, that's not college football. That's a glorified exhibition. Uh, If you're a parent of a guy that scores a touchdown in these games or or, uh, an alum, like you said, yeah, it might matter to you. It doesn't matter to anybody else. Now, the playoff will change that from a 12-team aspect. But, Rick, I almost wonder if a 12-team playoff will ultimately hurt bowl games even more. You think bowl games are meaningless now with a four-team playoff just wait next year till the 12-teamer, and you got all these other outside bowl games, it might be even worse. It, there's no coming back. I mean, there is. I, I'm i not involved with the Gator Bowl. I, I don't know what's going on uh, over there. Are they making money? I mean, if they relied so much on, what is it, Tax Slayer? Uh, are they footing the bill? I'm, I'm looking at the crowd here. There, there's no one in the upper deck. I watched, you know, I, I did. I stayed up last night and watched that game in San Antonio. Okay, it was actually a very entertaining game between Oklahoma and Arizona. We, we were laughing about the weather in the games yesterday. BC and SMU at Fenway Park, where it was raining. And then the game after in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium. Absolute monsoon. Miami and Rutgers. It, it just, I, I don't know how long these bowl games are, are going to be able to survive. It, bowl games used to be a reward for student-athletes. Because it's the only sport that we have where 41 teams would wrap up their year with a victory. Mm-hmm. March Madness, guess what? When you're all done, what is it now, 68 teams or 72 teams? When you're done, you have one winner. We get to the NFL playoffs, which begin in two weeks. You have one winner. The NHL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball is all complaining. Look at all the 100-win the teams this year. They got that bye in the first round. They lost. <laughs> they got four or five days off. They lost for crying out loud. People are, are, are upset with that system. But in all of these sports, you play out and you have one winner. College football's always been different because you have all these bowl games. You can have all these clubs who can, back in the old school ways, when you had that signing day in February, you get out with a win, you go into recruiting, and then you have spring ball. And what does it do for either Clemson or Kentucky who wins today? It adds to momentum for the start of your next season. I no longer know if that's the case when we see all these kids opting out and all these kids transfer. Yeah, everything's packed into the month of December with the portal, with NIL, 
you got 20 guys on this team that aren't playing, 30 guys on that team that aren't playing. This is not like Clemson and Kentucky right now. This is not the 2023 Clemson Tigers. No, no. This is not the 2023 Kentucky Wildcats. This is what is left after guys left the portal and, and left for the draft and opted out. Florida State tomorrow, that is not the 2023 no. Florida State Seminoles. No, it's not. Not even close. It is not even a shell of what Florida State was a month, month and a half ago. And they're going to get crushed on social media. Oh, and again, sure. they're going to get destroyed by the ill-informed, the, you know, the, the ill-informed but that's... Listen, they're going to get crushed by morons. Yes. And you, but, so you can do one of two things. You can ignore it, or you can expect it and just deal with it. Because it's going to come. It's unavoidable, whether you go looking for it or not. You're right. There's going to be a lot of folks out there that are going to step up and say Florida State had no right of it. And again, my opinion on this has been, has been pretty simple. Florida State should have gotten into the college football playoff, but... They were not one of the best four teams in college football after the loss of Jordan Travis. There's no other way to say it. They, yeah, but they deserve to be there more than Alabama and Texas. Okay, yes. And, and that goes into the more deserving, the better team. Well, if Georgia beat them, you know what they would have done? They would have put all four undefeated teams in. Yeah, they would have. You're probably and right. Bama wins, and, and, and everyone thinks Bama's the problem. Bama's not the problem. The problem is that Bama lost to Texas. You had to put Texas in. Quickly, I know we're going to do the more of this on the other side. A uh, guy on the text line brought up an interesting point, something we should probably spend some time on. Will a 12-team playoff, again, this is the end of an era. 12-team playoff begins next year. We will be in the middle of the playoff next year. Will that make some regular season college games obsolete because mm, of the 12-team playoffs? I got a big opinion on that. Let's take that to the other side. Also, Dr. Herbie is begging for your forgiveness. Florida State fans. I have a comment on that as well. I know Hacker will. Dr. Moe, Dr. Larry, Dr. Curley, Dr. Herbie. He's coming up next. Hold up, let me get up in it now. I'm here to win it now. There we go. What a barn burner right here in Jacksonville this afternoon. Kentucky up 14-10. couple of Kane fans upset with me. I don't know what I've done. I said that Bobby Bowden has more bowl wins since 2007. The late Bobby Bowden than the Canes. And that's true. Two to one. Bowden over the Canes. Canes won in 2016. I think it was the Cheez-It Bowl. It was a big victory for Miami. They knocked off uh, West Virginia 31-14. Miami has lost the other 11 bowl games. That's a crazy number, including yesterday losing to Rutgers. And that was a cool win for Rutgers. Like a situation like that for Rutgers, New Jersey team playing in Yankee Stadium, I'm sure that actually meant something to them and their fans. Yeah, that would have been cool. Miami's lost to some blue bloods here. Okay. Rutgers, (laughs) Oklahoma State. Yeah. All right. They were shut out uh, in a loss against La Tech. All right. They lost to Wisconsin. In consecutive years, I still, I think in that game, Alex Hornibrook might have been the winning quarterback <laughs> for the Badgers. They lost to Washington State. That might have been the Mike Leach years, the late Mike Leach. They lost to South Carolina, Louisville, Notre Dame, Wisconsin, and California. The pride of Berkeley. So. Yeah, it's not been a good bowl run for Miami, but at least Miami fans can say, well, we're playing in a bowl game. Florida fans can't even say that as Florida season 
has been over now for going on five weeks. I know we're going to get back into the world of college football quickly with an eye on Indianapolis and Houston. Some injury reports are coming out for their big games on Sunday. Michael Pittman Jr., the wide receiver for Indianapolis, has cleared concussion protocol. Indianapolis will have him on Sunday against Las Vegas. They will not have Zach Moss. The running back has been ruled out. And as far as the Texans go, this is big for Houston. Will Anderson, the number three overall pick, the rookie, was back at practice today for the Texans. Surprised that Pittman is able to come back after taking the hit he took. Oh, he took a shot. And by the way, do you think that safety should have been suspended for the rest of the year? No. It's still a contact sport. It's still an incredibly physical sport. Um, what did he get? Four games? He got four games. Yeah, the rest of their year was four games. Yeah, that's too much. He hit I mean, the, the hit was brutal. But uh, you four-game suspension, man, you better be trying to injure somebody. And I don't know if if that was the case. And I know Tom Brady, I think, had some words for the NFL regarding that suspension. The NFL, I think, got that one wrong, and it penalizes that steal or safety, which is unfortunate. The message never gets sent. It, it does, and, and the greatest example of that of all is, I don't care if it's college or pro football, how many times do you see a safety or a linebacker when they're getting ready to make a hit, they still drop their head? And you're told from Pop Warner on, do not drop your head. That's where neck injuries happen. That's where head injuries happen. Still, when you're about to get to massive contact, that is what does happen. And you can fine them. You can suspend them. When you are still in the moment, these guys are are going to play football. And I know that may not be the best example of the case we're talking about, but no, I think um, I think four games is too much. As far as I think it has to be dirty. Oh, agree. Four games. Yeah, and you can say that this was dirty, but the guy was trying to make a play. Yeah, I don't even think he hit him helmet to helmet. There's a lot of shoulder into into Pittman's head. Uh, you mentioned suspend him, whatever. The one thing I'll say about college football, I hate targeting because I, I hate the the premise of it throwing the guy out of the game. I understand trying to make the sport safer. But I thought college football, for the first time this year, they were better with targeting. Mm-hmm. They weren't calling targeting left and right. There were a couple of years where you would have two or three targeting penalties a game and guys getting thrown out two or three times a game. You did at least not have that to that extent this year. So I'm happy they eased back off of that a little bit. I don't hate a lot of things. I enjoy getting angry and I enjoy complaining. But hate is a totally separate word. I hate what Kirk Herbstreet has done this month. And I hate it more now than I did when he made the egregious, you know, egregious comments, dancing in the press box, him in, uh, in Fowler, you know, that slow dance. It was so elegant uh, after the 4th um, and 31 and, and Bama knocked off Auburn. And, 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 and again, that, I think they were – dancing to, um, I think it was Lionel Richie. Uh, I'm not sure what it was. It might have been might have been the Commodore's Lady, okay? It was such a sweet little dance that the two had. Um, can you imagine being an Auburn fan watching that? But, but Herb Street turned it up, and he went totally against Florida State. It upset me. It upset Florida State people. But damn it, own it. Don't be a coward. Own it. You you made your hay. You whether you were forced from above, and I happen to think that you know I'm listening. To, 
you listen to Matt Berry and you listen to Joe Tessitore and you listen to Paul Feinbaum and you listen to Dr. Herbie, it feels like it was forced from above. But own it, okay? You made all of these comments. You put yourself out there for your company and said that Bama and Texas deserve to be in and Florida State doesn't. You can't three weeks later now go on different platforms and make this big deal about how we should all feel sorry for Florida State and how he loved Florida State back during the Bobby Bowden and Deion Sanders years and how Florida, how college football is better with Florida State in it. That, to me, infuriates, I have to believe, college football fans, Florida State fans, more than his initial attack against them not being in Have enough guts, have enough respect for your job that if you're going to lay out that way and be so for Alabama and so for Texas and so much against Florida State, not three weeks later to kind of change it 180 to try to make everyone happy. You know, we always want people to have strong opinions, right? Don't be in the center. Either have one opinion or the other. And sometimes that opinion may upset you. And Kirk Herbstreet's opinion of Florida State not belonging in the playoffs certainly upset Florida State fans. And I don't think Herb Street, and you're right, he did double and triple down on it on his platforms, on ESPN, on ABC. I'm not sure if he understood the vitriol that Florida State fans, the venom that Florida State fans were going to have. I mean, there were some nasty things being sent Kirk Herb Street's way on social media. It made me blush, some of the stuff that people were saying. And again, keyboard tough guys, and we understand all that. But make no mistake about it, when Herb Street's retweeting these things and commenting on these posts, he's obviously reading them. And I think enough time has passed now, or maybe it did affect him to an extent that he's apologizing, that he's backpedaling a little bit. I agree with you, own it. I look at Pat McAfee. No one's talking about McAfee. McAfee told the Georgia fan base to go to hell on his show. Uh, Because if you'll remember, he did the Georgia... The whole singing of Georgia, the SEC title game, and then he chose Alabama. Okay. And, and he, I don't watch that show. Well, he goes on first take. It was actually not his show. It was first take. He goes on first take the next day with Stephen A. Smith. Okay. And Stephen A. Smith was like, Pat, why'd you do that to the Georgia fans? Does Stephen A. Smith even know the four teams that are in the college football playoffs? That's a good question. Continue your thought. But he knew about Pat McAfee doing what he did to Georgia fan. And McAfee goes, well, these are the same people that thought I got David Pollock fired. And these are the same people that wanted me gone and Pollock brought back in. And I love David Pollock. He said, David Pollock's my friend. But these people were calling me everything under the moon and David Pollock was great. So he said to hell with him on live TV. And he has not backpedaled off of that at all. That's why I kind of like McAfee. So McAfee is all in on telling Georgia fans to go somewhere, whereas Herb Street does what he does to Florida State fan and is now trying to reverse course. Kirk Herbstreet, Dr. Herbie, uh, he's got a doctorate. He's also a lawyer. I'm sure he's going to be fully involved in the uh, the Florida State Atlantic Coast Conference battle that's coming up in 2024. Imagine Kirk Herbstreet if Florida State had been Ohio State. End of story. I mean, just imagine if Ohio State had been undefeated, but their quarterback went down. Oh, my God. That actually happened what, seven or eight years ago when they went through three quarterbacks and Cardell Jones went out and won the national title? I think that's what really bothered uh, Kirk Herbstreet. But, you know, I'm, I'm over his comments. 
I've been over his comments. Just own them, man. Yeah. Why, why are you backtracking now? And you're going on, you know, radio show. What? What? Why? You 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 are known right now for totally sticking up for your company, for ESPN, who's now going to be in bed with the Southeastern Conference. I think he has been destroyed by college football fans. I think it's bothered him. I think he's had some sleepless nights. I think he used to be warm and fuzzy. And, oh, oh, Kirk, you know, another Botox. You look so pretty. Yeah, put on the blue blouse. It really matches your eyes. And he was such a lovable, warm figure. Now, all of a sudden, he's getting a lot of hate from a lot of different people. And he's trying to change that in the 11th hour. And in my world... That's made him even more of a coward. Some people like being the heel, right? I'll go wrestling terminology. Some people like being the bad guy. Skip Bayless likes being the bad guy. Stephen A. Smith likes being the bad guy. I think Pat McAfee, yeah. at least a Georgia fan. But some of them are sellouts. They, they, they do it and they don't believe it. Well, maybe. Skip Bayless will, do, Skip Bayless will sit here and tell you that, uh, I don't know, uh, he'll come out and tell you that uh, Derek Jeter was better than Babe Ruth just to get people to say, what in the hell did he just say? And to watch a show. Right. To get, I, to get a rise out of people. I think there's some sellout involved there. And there, and you're probably right about that, but I do think that Skip Bayless does kind of enjoy the counter-argument and being the guy on the outside and, and, and likes yeah. people the back and forth. Maybe Herb Street just doesn't like that. LeBron James tried to be a heel for a year or two when he went to Miami. Remember, and he was doing all this right. talk about not three, not four, not five, and people hated him because of it. And I think that affected LeBron, and that's why he went back to Cleveland. He didn't want to be the bad guy. He wanted to go back to being the baby face or the good guy. I think Herb Street wants to be the good guy, and that's why he's trying to make amends. Keep in mind, though, and Gator fans will tell you this, 2006, there was no social media, so Herb Street couldn't go as over the top. He wanted Michigan and Ohio State to have a rematch in the national title. He did not want Florida to play Ohio State, and Herb Street went on every platform back then. Now, it was 17 years ago, and his voice wasn't as big as it is now, but he was screaming, Michigan-Ohio State rematch, leave Florida out. So the vitriol Florida State fans have for him, their Gator brethren will share that. Gator fans still remember that. The Florida State-Louisville game was unwatchable. Did you watch it? I did. Did you listen to the broadcast? Uh, Not intently, but it was on in the background. Um, I was going to put... Joe Tessator on an island by himself. But unfortunately, we noticed it the other night with Rich Eisen on the NFL Network, just totally, absolutely gushing, praying, begging for Denver to knock off New England. Gotta have it. They, I mean, it was like, what is he doing? Joe Tessator, I always laugh at fans who think broadcasters have an effect on the outcome <laughs> of a game. Yeah. Okay. Officials do. Like I was with Billy Packer in the right. Florida Michigan State right. basketball title game in 2000. Officials do. Broadcasters do not. However, Joe Tessitore's call was so blatantly a push for Texas and Bama and crushing Florida State that I believe it had an effect on the college football playoff selection committee. I did. So as, as down as I am, on Kirk Herb Street, um, the word violence comes to mind when you mentioned the name to me, Joe Tessitore. I, I thought that that was 
about as poor as any prof- – and then you know what he did? He showed up in Tallahassee a week later at the Tallahassee Quarterback Club, which isn't a Florida State-sanctioned event, but it's at the Florida State Stadium, overlooking the field. 90% Seminole boosters are part of this group. And what did they do? All the tough guys on social media, all, not one of those individuals said a word to Joe Tessitore. They poured scotch and steak down his throat and gave him probably twenty five, fifty thousand bucks to go there and lie to those fans. That's interesting. I, I saw Tessator was there. Now Herb Street and Game Day will be in Ireland next year for Florida State and Georgia or Georgia Tech. Ireland certainly not Tallahassee. I cannot wait when Game Day goes to Tallahassee. To oh, see I can the wait for that. Now, now I want the off season. But is that the Florida State fan thought? Is that because Texas? going into the SEC, Alabama in the SEC, that Herb Street and Tessator and ESPN and ABC had it out for the Knowles because of the Southeastern Conference? Let's hit that on the other side. I want to get caught up on these breaks. Uh, much more on this. I, I think it's a real interesting uh, conversation. We'll get back to the Jaguars as well. Plus, coming up at 2.30, we're going to check the money. We will go live to Las Vegas. The Philly Rooster will join us. Hacker and Baloo, Friday edition, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Jaguars and the Panthers on Sunday. Of course, you'll get it right here on 1010XL. Pre-game coverage beginning at 8 a.m. Waiting on the Jaguar injury report. A lot of guys were limited yesterday. The only did not practice from yesterday was quarterback Trevor Lawrence. So certainly some doubt as to whether Trevor is going to give it a go in what is essentially a must-win situation for the Jaguars, back into the Jaguars in just a moment, doing some college football talk now. Rick, as much as we're talking about Florida State and the ACC and the 12-team playoff next year, we still have a national championship to discuss this season as the two playoff games will happen on Monday. Washington, Texas, look, I mean, for our audience, who really knows? I tend to think Texas is probably going to win that game, but certainly Michigan-Alabama has a much more local flavor to it. Yeah, Jacksonville's interesting. I love it here. It's such an outstanding NFL audience, such a great uh, Jaguar audience, but uh, they're really blind in the world of college football. If it's not in the SEC or it's not Florida State, maybe a tiny bit of Miami, they don't care. Not only do they not care, they don't watch. They don't watch the Big Ten. They don't watch the Pac-12. They don't watch the Big 12. So, you know, we could bring folks on right now, and I could – whip out my wallet and throw $100 bills out and say, can you name three guys on Michigan? Can you name uh, three guys on Washington? Can you name three guys on Texas? And they wouldn't be able to do that. They, they, they just don't care, and that's okay. With that said, it's going to be an incredible football game. I don't think there's any doubt about it. But the meat and potatoes, the one that people are going to care about, is Alabama in Michigan. And to me, this is fascinating. I'm going to pick Alabama, okay? Alabama is totally unpredictable. Alabama beat Arkansas by a field goal. Alabama took a miracle, a freaking miracle, to beat Auburn. I still think they're the most talented team out there. Who's the best team right now in college football? I think it's Georgia. They just got beat. That's why we're at, you know, that's why, that is why we are where we are and why we do need a six-team uh, college football playoff. But 
Nick Saban, to, to me this is all about Nick Saban. Nick Saban last year at this time, and, and Nick Saban used his podium and used his media and, and continuously does this better than anyone in any sport. He gets his message across. He did it at the SEC meetings. He did it several times alone there in Tuscaloosa. He did it in some national settings. What was his point a year ago at this point? We're not in the college football playoff. We should. We've lost two games by what? Three points, two games by five points. He went on to say, outside of Georgia, if you put us in this game against the other three teams, Alabama would have been favored a year ago. And then he made the statement, isn't college football in the playoff about putting the four best teams in? What happened a year later? They crumbled under that same message because he's right. Alabama face-to-face with Florida State. Alabama's going to beat Florida State when Florida State does not have Jordan Travis. But that message got sent across. You'll see it on Sunday There'll be a, or Monday. There'll be a call in the first quarter, okay? It'll be such an incredible subjective call. Nick Saban's going to get it. He's going to get that call early in the first quarter. Nick Saban has more street cred. Nick Saban has more power than anyone in any sport. Way more than Belichick now. Way more than anyone in baseball or hockey or basketball. He'll get calls. And I think the result of that, I think Alabama, the national championship, is going to come back to Tuscaloosa. If I'm picking a team right now to win it all, I'm going with Alabama, the one team that many believe should not be in. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. I think it's going to be Alabama and Texas, and I'm going to go based on the law that it's hard to beat a team twice. Texas already beat Alabama once. Would they be able to do it again? I don't think so. So I'm going to pick Alabama to win it all. For argument's sake, I told a buddy of mine I'd throw it out there because this is on Florida State message boards and being talked about in Tallahassee. I think it's a fun little argument. Do I expect it to happen? No. But for argument's sake, I'll give it to you and you do with it what you will. If Florida State can circle the wagons with third teamers and beat Georgia tomorrow, do I expect that? No, but stay with me. If that happens, and if either Alabama or Texas wins the national championship, that would then mean that Florida State is the only undefeated team in college football. They would be the only one with a zero in the L column. Would they have an argument at that point to split the national championship? Yeah, they would. You know, absolutely they would. You're talking about a, a Georgia team that's won one game and th- that has lost, what, one game in 30? Yeah. They got robbed. I mean, Georgia should be in it. They absolutely should. Um, and Who'd no you have taken out, Texas? I don't know what you're going to do. It's screwed up. I, I don't. I don't. I don't see for one reason I mean, why. If you go into a if you go into a twelve teamer and you had this type of controversy, why not just set it up where you have Georgia and Florida State in and, and put it? And obviously that's long gone now. You've had transfers and all these opted opted uh, outs that we've seen. I just said it a moment ago. I still think Georgia's the best team in college football. I think if you had a four team college football playoff. I think Georgia wins it, but we just watched Alabama beat them. You know, last week I thought San Francisco was the best team in the NFL. We just watched Baltimore beat them. 
I got some knucklehead on here saying all these Florida State tiers, whatever. If Florida State played Georgia and all their starters win, including the quarterback, Georgia would win by 14 points. You don't know that. No, you don't. If, if you Florida don't State, know it. If Florida State was healthy saying yeah. that, uh, oh, yeah, I don't know that. You don't know it. It's why you play the game. I remember going to the Orange Bowl 24 years ago. Florida State was a nine-and-a-half-point favorite over Oklahoma. I flew back from Chicago. Everyone that I was with thought you just show up and you win, and that's another national. It's why you play these games. You don't know. You you can't just come out and make a general statement like that. It's so stupid. Again, Auburn almost beat Georgia. South Carolina played with Georgia. Auburn should have beaten Alabama. Here I am now saying I think Alabama's going to win the national title. Yeah, Auburn had Alabama on a fourth and 31 a week prior, New Mexico State thrashed goes them. to Auburn and wins by 30. Just thrashed them. So, but what's curious to me is, now this would not apply if Washington or Michigan win the title, and it obviously would not apply if Florida State loses. But there is a scenario with a Florida State win tomorrow. Again, they're without like 25 guys, so we're kind of living in la-la land, but stay with me. With a Florida State win tomorrow and a national championship by either Alabama or Texas – you are going to have a one-loss team raising the trophy in the national title game when there is still one Power 5 undefeated team at 14-0 and that would have as good a resume, if not better, than the eventual yeah. champion. But, again, it's like you're asking me to dunk a basketball. You know, you're asking Rosie O'Donnell to win a bikini contest. <laughs> Florida State is not beating Georgia. Could, it, could, could they have full strength? Would you, pick, would you pick them if Florida State was at full strength? No. You would See, no. I might. That no. Florida State, when you guys were healthy, no. you guys were good. Florida, Florida State got worse as the season went on. Yeah, but that defense, man. Dude, Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson dropped way too many passes. They did no favors for Tate Rodemaker and, Bo- and Brock Glenn. They dropped as many balls as they caught. Their defense was outstanding. Oh. Okay, Trey Benson is a guy you had to keep beating because he's a home run hitter. But, no, Georgia beats, beats Florida State with, with Jordan Travis. I, listen, I'm a Florida State guy, but I'm honest. No, they wouldn't have beaten Georgia. Not, and, and J, to, when, you know, J.J. and I have been talking about this all year. I've been saying it all year. I mean, you knocked off LSU by 20-plus. Yeah. LSU beat, had no defense. You beat Florida. You beat Clemson. I mean, you beat Louisville. Uh, look, I think Georgia would – I mean, I'm not saying Georgia could not beat Florida State. But to think that it's crazy that Florida State at 100% would beat Georgia, to me, that's crazy. Florida State didn't put away teams. They were up 10 nothing against Miami and were driving, and they got cute. Before you knew it, they were trailing in the fourth quarter. Same thing with the Gators. They're up 17 nothing against Virginia Tech. I go, under, you know, I go underneath the, the dope to grab a beer. I come up. It's 148 yards to three. Second quarter, Vitek, Florida State. Vitek takes the touchdown back to begin the third quarter. Uh, on a kick return. Florida State laid off uh, at times instead of putting teams away. So it's a great year. It's been a phenomenal season, but this is not a dominant program. This is a team that found ways to win games, and they have nothing to apologize for. But, no, there's no way I'm going to go on here and say that I thought that they would have knocked off those teams. I think they would have matched up well with Michigan because I think their defense – would have been able to create a lot of fits for that Michigan offense. And look, take nothing away from Georgia. And again, Georgia's going to play a depleted Florida State team, so this argument will be moot 
in about 27 hours from right now. Georgia was trailing at halftime to South Carolina. I know. Georgia was in a battle with Vanderbilt midway through the third quarter. Battle with Auburn. This is not a Georgia team without flaws. And if I think both teams were 100% healthy, if the game was in Athens, I would take Georgia. Georgia had to go to Doe Campbell at night. I'm taking Florida State to win that game. All right, well, that's Doe Campbell at night. We're talking about a neutral site game. A neutral site game. Um yeah, but again, that's why you play the games. I don't know. I could be wrong. I want to thank the good folks over at Patriot Roofing Services. They help bring you the program right here on this Friday. They specialize in all types of commercial, residential roofing and repairs, gutters, sun tubes, skylights as well, 10-year workmanship warranty. Give my buddy Mark Tozzolo a call, 982-4052. Licensed and insured, no subcontractors. So that's the best part of it. You're dealing with one man with one company. That's Mark Tozzolo at Patriot Roofing Services. They specialize in all types of commercial and residential roofing and repairs. Check them out online. Go to Patriot Roofing or Patriot Roofing Services. Let's get ready for a final hour. We're 30 minutes away going uh, from going live to Las Vegas to check in with the Philly Rooster. Much more on college football. And as well, we'll make our way back to the Jaguars. We'll take you up until 3 o'clock today. All right, winter time in Duval. You know what that means? Oysters. My goodness, they're so good. And the Blue Crab Crab House, man, they got them by the tray. Broiled on the half shell with Romano cheese or just get them straight up. Maybe a little bit of hot sauce. That's what I did earlier this week. They've been a staple in Jacksonville since 1996. The great Blue Crab Crab House. Jointing Creek Road. I know I'm going to get fired from this sooner or later, and I'm going to just take it to my ultimate dream, that is to be a DJ. You're going to start smoking three packs a day and yep. get the raspy voice going? I'm going to smoke doobies <laughs> right out the back door. Yep. yep. And uh, what was her name? Austin across the street back on the old Rocky. We got some. Uh, we're going to go with some early deep purple, um, and then we're going to book. Some will say it's a two-hit one. We're going to play some Fog Hat, some original Fog Hat. What was her name? Tracy Austin? Oh. Uh, she was over there with the Woodman. Yeah. And Lex and Terry and Rick, uh, Rick Tracy. I forget her name. She was great. So, By the way, did you see uh, Fox News had to issue an apology? And no, I'm not getting into politics. Don't worry about that. They had to issue an apology. Let's do it right now. Yeah, 641-1010. Let's just discuss everything. Yeah. Uh, Frank Thomas, the big hurt, one of the best baseball players I've ever seen Talk in my life. Talk about getting fired. That's how we'll get fired. Bring yeah. up politics in our final hour. Exactly. So Fox News did a uh, memorial today to everybody that has passed away in 2023. Very touching, obviously. They do it every year. And they showed highlights of Frank Thomas from the Chicago White Sox. Unfortunately, that was not the Frank Mm. Thomas that died. Uh, Frank Thomas, the big hurt, is alive and well. And he went on Twitter about an hour afterwards, after I would imagine receiving a host of text messages and emails from concerned family and friends. Wow. He is alive and well. Uh, Fox News did offer a 15-second apology for it. But imagine that. You're minding your own business. Frank Thomas has got that energy deal that he's doing i'm sure he's at the gym you know lathering up the guns and 
getting a good workout in and he's doing the ed spots with flutie right is that, yeah new yeah hey and your partner will love it yeah too. exactly and the workouts are great you got stamina all that well uh, apparently he'll be able to keep his stamina because he's Frank's alive. Frank's got staying power. Yeah. Yeah, but imagine that. You're, they said he was dead. Yeah. For 20 seconds today, they did a memorial to Frank Thomas. Killing and it was the wrong off. Frank Thomas. Killing someone off. Weren't they trying to kill off Tom Petty before he went? There's and, been a and, couple of and them. And the Petty family had to. Yeah, it's. That's just a mess. That That's a major mess. Um. Is it a fireball offense? I, I, I don't know. It seems like Frank Thomas has handled it okay. He went on Twitter and took a selfie with the smile and the thumbs up and said, I'm doing great. He's having some fun with it, but still, you can't say a guy passed away if he didn't pass away. I mean, who's in charge over there? Yeah, it's uh, well, it, that, that would have had to have been a producer, I have to believe, who got that information and, and fed it to the studio host. But... um. Anyway, I'll check on that a little bit later on. Patty Hayes, according to the 3518, was uh, the former radio voice on The Rock. Kind of a gravely voice. See, when I was younger, I never listened to anything except the bad show with Rick Ballou. Mm-hmm. I would just turn the knob off. That was awesome. Raise the volume up, four to seven. I was so damn underpaid. Every the ratings afternoon. were insane. I tried, to win, um, I tried to win a prize from you once. But I had you nothing to lose, me. Yeah, obviously. You were giving away Florida, Florida State tickets one year, and you wanted a motto for the year. Yeah. And your motto the previous year was Blue Cares. Oh. So you wanted a motto for the following year. And I remember this, not that mm. it stuck with me for 25 years, because uh, I was really wanting to win those tickets. So I said Blue in 99, and that's mm. the bottom line because Rick said so, because Ooh. you were a wrestling fan. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, what you chose was Blue Still Cares. <laughs> so I did all this Man, thinking I don't remember for any of that. that. Yeah, I was crazy then. I'm, I'm like a non-alcoholic brew now. I'm so lame. I'm so uh, so timid because I got a lot to lose now, Hacker. Yeah. I said goodbye to my daughter today. Moved to Paris for crying out loud. Moved to Paris. Wow. I mean, this isn't going to school across the country like I did when I left Boston and went to Florida State. This is going to the country. Ooh. Okay, going to Paris. It's, I'm, um, I'm going to tear up when Forrest goes to kindergarten oh, next year. I can't imagine Paris. Man, enjoy those years. They're, they're gone. Even though those years can be stressful when you're trying to keep them happy or if they're crying, you don't know what's going on. And, you know, the constant attention. And, and I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a great parent. But I'm telling you, man, you blink twice and they're gone. 21 and 18 now. Mm. And uh, and I remember when they were my son's I age. I know, I know, I know. It's uh, it's a totally new life. You know, it's just that I think social media has such an effect. Here we are talking about social media with Herb Street and just look at what's going on with the text line, all our reaction to this college football playoff and all this reaction to Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence and people want to get in and, and we are very interactive. I know on my show, Six to Eight at Night, I'm incredibly interactive. Uh, with the listeners, whether they agree with me or disagree with me, frankly, I typically like it more when you when you disagree with me. But I I, I think that whole social media world really takes over for the youngsters. Now, what four is what four? Four will be five in May. So he's not near a cell phone for a few more years. Oh, we got him a, a toddler cell phone ah. that he can take pictures on. He's ah. all about taking pictures now. That's his thing. 
I'll tell you when social media really hit me. It was the first time I ever brought my daughters to the Keys. And I'm like Clark W. Griswold. Okay. <laughs> I'm going over like one of these bridges. And I'm, because we take them somewhere different every year. You know, San Francisco, New York. Of course, went to Boston many times. They were born in Chicago. We take them all over. So I'm like the classic Clark W. Griswold. I got like my arm extended over and, my, and then the GF is next to me. And I'm like, we're going over this. You've been to the Keys, right? Oh, yeah. Picture-esque. I don't know what key it was or what. And I'm like, this is great, man. My daughter's going to love this. They love me. What a spectacular trip. I turn around. I look. Both my daughter's heads buried into their phone. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, really? Is this the life we're at now? I mean, and, and I tell you what else used to really shock me is when I traveled with the Jaguars. And you get in and get out so quickly. Those police escorts are magnificent. You know, you're gone an hour and 15 minutes after a game. They get showered up, interview, talk to you. Y'all get on these buses. There's usually four or five buses. Bring some team sponsors to staff the team. We travel with the team. You get a police escort from the stadium that you're at straight to the tarmac where a plane is waiting for you, a chartered flight home. Police escort as well from the airport back to the to the stadium downtown your home. So, you know, if you have a game at, at 1 o'clock in Baltimore, um, you're home at 9.30, 10, 10.30 at night on, on a Sunday. Young kids, 21, 22, 23, 23, we're driving through like Chicago or we're driving through D.C. Major, metropo- you know, major metropolitan cities where I got to figure these kids have probably never been in this city before. And we're, we're not on the outskirts. I'm talking about driving through the city, the skyline. And I'm thinking, these guys got to at least eat this up for the five minutes or ten minutes worth that we're driving. Uh-uh. Every single one of them. On, they could care less about what they are. So I, I just think that that is kind of the younger generation, and it's, it's really the part of social media that I, I think kind of destroys the now. And it's always about finding something that's better than, you actually, than where you actually are. Well, this will be a get-off-my-lawn moment, and I'm still a little young for those. I just turned 40 this year. But it's like the little things in life. Like, I used to like to go to the movies, and you go up to the box office, and you buy tickets, and yeah, you go to the concession stand, and you go find the theater. No, not anymore. Now you got to get your tickets in advance. You pick out your seat in advance. You can also get the food delivered straight to your seat, and it's no longer a seat. It is a full-blown recliner in these things. And I worked at a movie theater for 18 months. Uh, Luckily, my wife knows about all this stuff with the apps and everything, I just want to go to the grocery store. No, we're going to pre-order them. No, you pre-order your groceries. Pre-order the groceries. Yeah, I don't go to stores. So, so they get know. delivered straight to the house, or we just go to the pickup line, and they'll bring them straight out to the car. <laughs> it is an amazing world we live in. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's come back. Let's, uh, let's get back to the Jags a little bit. Uh, we're getting all this injury information. Let me check real quick here uh, the latest, if the Jaguars sent me anything. And... I, I, I do – no, it's still not in. I believe they have officially until 5 o'clock today. You know, let's get to this on the other side, but I think it's a little bit disturbing that whether it's Will Levers or, or any of these other players that we're hearing about who are going to play or others who are not going to play, we're not hearing anything on Trevor Lawrence. It's silent right now. And I, I know the excuse is, well, the Gator Bowl is going on. They're not at the Miller Electric Center. They're not downtown. Still, I'm getting a little bit of an eerie feeling. What's really going on at this point 
with Trevor Lawrence. Why haven't we heard? So let's come back and do that on the other side. The Philly Rooster will join us as well. We'll go live to Las Vegas, take a look at the money. He will join us at 2.30. Hacker and Baloo to close out the year with you. 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Next week, Rick is back 6 to 8. I'll be back 8 to 10 in our normal time slots in the evening. A couple of things that really jump out to me. Number one, this is wild. So Cleveland wins last night to go to 11-5 and five on the year, mm-hmm. clinching a playoff spot. Likely, if the Jaguars get in, Cleveland would be their opponent. It will be the first time since 1989, 34 years, that the Cleveland Browns have finished with a better record than the Pittsburgh Steelers. That is wild. That, that is, is crazy. 34 years since the Browns had a better record in the regular season than the Steelers. That finally comes to an end in 2023. And I don't know what this means, if anything, but the Gator Bowl going on, Clemson and Kentucky, right now on the Clemson sideline, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne taking in the ball game. So Mm -hmm. I guess practice has been let out, and uh, Etienne and Lawrence are enjoying their alma mater, although they are losing, Clemson is right now. But again, we read things into everything. I don't know, Rick, if you have a thought on – Lawrence being on the sideline at this game or not? I didn't think he'd play a few weeks ago with the ankle. Uh, I got off the show Thursday night. Rappaport came out and said after Wednesday and Thursday, if you do not practice, you typically do not play. All of this week, I've gone against it, especially after his Wednesday comments about the AC joint and how he tested. Then yesterday, you know, with Doug Peterson coming out and in, uh, in stating that, in fact, he would play on a limited basis. I've thought all along he's playing. Right now, I feel awful about about that. I, I, I tend to believe that this is a game-time decision, that mm-hmm. this is a 90 minutes until kickoff decision. That, you know, I usually it's, it's, it's not throwing the football with the quarterback Typically, it is a situation where you're testing a knee or an ankle or something along those lines, and and you get there early, and you go with the strength and conditioning coaches and the trainers, and you find out whether or not you're able to give it a go. This is totally different. This is about him throwing the football. I honestly don't have a good feeling about this right now. If you were to force me to make a decision at 226 today, my guess now is that that he's not going to play. But I've already thought that a few times this year, and he did play. Yeah, this one feels different because, like you said, it is the shoulder. It's not a knee or an ankle or the concussion protocol. And Trevor mentioned that. When Trevor met the media on Wednesday, he said, this one is a little different. i got to be able to throw the ball, and when you're throwing shoulder is sprained, that's obviously an issue. I've told you all week, and I understand that I'm. Not, this is not what the coaches will do if it were me. And I, Trevor, 75% compared to a C.J. Beathard at 100%, knowing you're playing the worst team in football in Carolina, I would love for Trevor to be able to sit out for seven days and hopefully you can win the game with C.J. Beathard because I think Trevor needs some extra time just to heal from all the awful things that have happened to him. If he plays, I'll understand it because that's the way the NFL works. But the worst-case scenario is he goes out there and does more damage to that shoulder on Sunday. Yeah. Um, I'm going to stay with what I've said all along. If he's cleared and he says he can play, he's he's going to play. They're going to put him out there, but we'll we'll see for sure. 
You know, you mentioned that Cleveland-Pittsburgh thing. What's really amazing about this is the NFL is considered the ultimate parity, right? It's a league where there's a salary cap. It's a league where with the eight divisions, every single year a team that finished last in one division the year prior goes out and finishes in first place the next year. Case in point, the Jaguars, if you look at what happened from 2021 to 2022. But out of the 32 teams, there's 12 of those teams that have not won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Only 20 of the 30 have. Do you realize that Arizona, Atlanta, Buffalo, Carolina, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Detroit, Houston, Jacksonville, L.A., the Chargers, Minnesota, and Tennessee, 12 of the 32 teams in pro football have not won a Super Bowl. Of those 12, who's the closest this year? Everyone's going to tell you Buffalo. Oh, Buffalo. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Man, Cleveland looks good all of a sudden, though. And I, I put out a poll on Look my, at the injuries that they have suffered. Cleveland? Oh, my God. Offensively, indeed. I think they've lost either nine or ten starters or, or serious contributors. Nick Chubb, Deshaun Watson, three-fifths of their offensive line. Buffalo has lost a lot of defensive guys, and they're still playing well. Look, if Jacksonville makes the postseason, odds are Cleveland will be the opponent. It'll be a rematch. Cleveland beat them up in Cleveland a couple weeks ago, 31-27. If I were to tell you, Jacksonville, Cleveland, in Jacksonville, wild card weekend, you like the Jaguars' chances? I haven't even begun to think that far. I, I know you just asked me. Yeah, I, I think, you know, they lost earlier this year. It was on the road. Uh, this is a different team. They have some film. Uh, you're going to have to get to Joe Flacco. The guy's been just tearing it up. What a great um, story, man. It is. It's, it's one of the great stories of the year. But it, this is amazing. And this league that screams parity, and again, it's something I talk about often, but 12 of the 32 teams have never won a Super Bowl. And I think most would pick Buffalo right now. Um, I probably would go back to Cincinnati with a healthy Joe Burrow. Okay, can that be the case as early as next year? I think others may say Cleveland, but they've been bona fide losers since they came into the National Football League, do you put Jacksonville in there? I don't know. Some may say Detroit. I'll tell you yeah. whose stock has plummeted is Justin Herbert and the Chargers. Right, that's Remember plummeted. Remember what they were thought of coming into the year? You know, C.J. Stroud, as he gets a little bit older, I, I, I think him being a rookie, being injured, coming back, and then being asked to win on the road, those are three things that are really going to go against C.J. Stroud if Houston makes it into the playoffs. But, um, yeah, that, that is fascinating stuff, no question about it. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. All right, he is the Philly Rooster. Let's head live to Las Vegas as bowl season continues right here in Jacksonville, Kentucky, uh, taking on Clemson. Let's get the very latest from our good friend. He is the Philly Rooster, and he's always on with Rick Ballou Fridays, typically on into the night, but we have him on a little bit earlier on this Friday afternoon. Mr. Rooster, how you been? Rick, pretty good, pretty good. You got me up almost at the crack of dawn out here. I mean, I'm <laughs> talking to you after lunch. This is pre-lunch after a Thursday night out. Yeah, but, I mean, come on. You're one of those when, uh, you know, Jacksonville plays in London at 9.30 a.m. at 6.30 your time. You're up at 5 a.m. getting ready for that game. Oh, yeah, sitting at a bar and watching it, too. You're right. That's that's why I do not recommend do not live in Vegas. It's not good for you. All right, give us a do not recommend here. Florida State, Georgia, we know all about it, all of the opt-outs. The line is now skyrocketed. Uh, do you play Georgia here, or is this one of those games where you just say, uh-uh, I'm not touching it? 
Well, uh, for the last two weeks, I've been kicking myself because I wanted to lay 14. I waited and then I missed it. It went to 15 and I said, ah, I missed the number. And then I should have laid 15 and I never made a bet on Georgia this whole time. And I finally today in town, I found a 21 and I couldn't help myself. I took FSU plus 21. I mean, I still think these kids are going to try and they got good athletes. Uh, Georgia, it's not that important of a game for them either. And every single public better is on Georgia. 85% of the money and 86% of the bets are are on Georgia here. I, I don't know anything 21 or over. I'm on Florida State. It's got to be so hard, too, and all these opt-outs. I mean, this is not the Florida State 2023 Seminoles. This is a shell of what they were a month and a half ago. You do not have that situation, Rooster, in the playoff games, which are obviously on Monday. Let's begin out in the Rose Bowl. Michigan and Alabama, the one versus the four. Although I think you talk to people down here where we are in Jacksonville, a lot of people think Alabama is going to get it done. What say you? Yeah, very interesting game when you look at these money splits. You would think the number one team in the country undefeated would be taking all the public money, but it's the exact opposite. 73% of the bets and 50%, 58% of the money so far at Caesar Sportsbook have been on Alabama. That's telling you the public money's on Alabama, but, and I tell Rick all year, when you see a spread like that, 73% to only 58% of the money, that means there's sharp money on the favorite, which is rare in a game of this magnitude, but I am on Michigan minus one and a half. I don't think I've ever asked you this, uh, Philly Rooster, but I, I wonder if it applies here. In, in my world, no one gets more calls than Nick Saban. Do you factor that in? Has there ever been a coach, whether it was Belichick in the NFL, has there ever been any sport where you believe with the game on the line, a coach is going to get a call? Yeah, there is. And right now, Kansas City's one of the biggest offenders. They get more calls. They've cost me so much money over the years, but... I think when you're dealing with two coaches of this magnitude, it kind of evens itself out. Even though they might like Saban more, they know they're not going to get away with something on Harbaugh either. So in, in, in this game, this championship level, I don't think that's a factor. Uh, on a, a regular Saturday afternoon, Alabama against uh, Tennessee, Absolutely, I factored it. Philly Rooster, our guest. Philly Rooster, let our listeners out here know how they can uh, get a hold of you on Twitter and everything else that you have. Uh, follow, uh, we got the sports betting show every Thursday, uh, Thursday night live on YouTube and on Philly Godfather's um, Twitter channel. And it also airs on uh, SXM Thursday, Friday, and Saturday mornings. And I am at Philly Rooster on Twitter. Let's get to the second of the semifinal games coming up on Monday. The University of Washington against the Texas Longhorns. Your thoughts here? Yeah, another interesting game. Now, this one's more like 50-50. 45% of the bets and 53% of the money is on Texas, but that's really nothing. I mean, this game's being bet both ways. The bookmakers love it. It opened 4.5-63.5. It's sitting 4.5-62.5. Uh, I don't think Washington's going to be able to get their footing in this game, and I lean Texas, but my big play here is under 63. Like a defensive battle there in Texas and Washington. The Jaguars, Philly Rooster, on Sunday come back home. It's Fan Appreciation Day here at the stadium. We would just appreciate a win. They're 2-5 and five 
at Everbank Stadium. They play the 2-13 and Carolina Panthers, Jacksonville on a four-game losing streak, and as of right now, we do not know the status of quarterback Trevor Lawrence. How does that affect your thoughts on this game? Uh, well, <clears throat> we have Dr. Chow. I don't know if you got, uh, guys follow SIC Score, which is an amazing website. Uh, we had him on our show last night, and I drilled him on this Trevor Lawrence thing. He is 80% sure he's going to play. Uh, I follow his word like the, the gospel. But the public is not sure about this. I mean, this game opened 839 and a half. Today it went from six down to five and a half. I was afraid there was going to be some bad Lawrence news coming out, but it didn't. Uh, so it's sitting five and a half, 37 and a half ad, out here. 63% of the bets and 80% of the money on Jacksonville. The Sharps are saying he's playing. I am not giving up, Rick. I've been giving you Jacksonville all year and getting burned. I like Jacksonville here to get a win and get that ship straightened out. All right, what's your advice? What do you see if it, you know, if it is announced that he's going to play, I would have to assume more money's coming in on Jacksonville. So for our listeners, I think a lot of them are going to play the Jags. Do you have any advice on the timing of making this selection? Do it right now because if he's playing, that line's going to shoot the seven so fast you're not going to know what hit you. And if he's not playing, it's not going to go down that much further. Mm. So now is the time. I think five and a half is the dip spot. Outstanding information as always, Philly Rooster. Once again, for our listeners, uh, please give us all of your information. At Philly Rooster on Twitter. Follow me. I give you a lot of free plays all week long. Uh, I'll give you one for tonight. Take the Zags minus six and a half in college hoops. And the phillygodfather.com for premium moves. Best of luck in all your plays. Happy New Year to you, Philly Rooster. We'll talk again next week. You too, guys. Thanks. There he goes, Philly Rooster. And, and you just asked me five minutes ago. I said I kind of had an eerie feeling that he wasn't going to play. But, again, I've had that feeling already this year with Trevor Lawrence. Those folks in Vegas, I don't know how they get that information. It's always astounded me how they get that information. He's convinced that Trevor Lawrence is playing. I'll never forget. It was just a random, like, Nevada-Hawaii game. This is 15 years ago. And Nevada was like a 35-and-a-half point favorite. And I, the only reason I remember this is because of the score. The final score was 46-10. to 10. Yeah. They were a 35-and-a-half oh, yeah. point favorite. And the final score was 46-10. to 10. And at that moment, I don't want question Vegas any longer. They just simply know what's going on. Yeah, and... You know, so many folks have fallen flat on their face, and it's it's ruined families, it's ruined homes. Um, there's only a few who end up making this uh, their livelihood and, and, and really benefit positively from it. Uh, the Philly Rooster is one of them. Uh, Kentucky's got back the ball, just turned away in the, in the fourth quarter, 14 minutes to go. They are up 21-16 to 16 right now in this matchup. That is at the Gator Bowl. All right, when we come back, final thoughts on our program, plus uh, 1010XL's prime time. I should say 92.5 FM's prime time as well. They're on location as well. We'll tell you where they're at. Now, today's takeaways, brought to you by Key Buick GMC, where our family dealership has been helping families buy vehicles for over 50 years. And the good folks over there wish all of you a happy and safe new year. Love uh, my relationship with the folks over at uh, at Key. Okay, I am a proud owner of the GMC Sierra truck. 
and the GF in her Buick Enclave. Again, I mentioned that my oldest daughter, Ainsley, actually moved to Paris today, which is just baffling to me, but I wish her the best. But we bought her a used car a few years ago, right there from Key. So the lot is filled today, tomorrow. All right, before the new year, take advantage of all their incentives, all the deals. The lot is full right across the street from Tinseltown. That is Southside in Gay. All right, Hacker Nation, uh, you'll be back next week uh, beginning at 8. I'll be back next week beginning at 6 o'clock. Final thoughts as we wrap up the year and, of course, get ready for that matchup between the Jaguars and Panthers. Yeah, it's obviously tough to know because we don't know the status of Trevor Lawrence. But I, like you, don't think it matters whether it's C.J. Beathard or not. At the end of the day, all right, you were an 8-3 and three football team. You've lost four in a row. You still control your own destiny for a division title. You have the lowly 2-13 and 13 Carolina Panthers coming in here. And you've heard all week that there is legitimate doubt from your own fan base as to whether you can beat the worst team in the NFL on your home field. You've been awful at home all year. You're two and five. If this isn't a circle the wagons, look in the mirror, let's absolutely get it done on Sunday, I don't know what is. I think Jacksonville wins the game regardless of the quarterback, and I do think either Houston or Indy wins as well, and I think it goes into must-win territory for the regular season finale against the Titans. Maybe the first time in my life I've actually agreed with what you just said. As far as the final score, anyway, or the team that wins. I'm with you as well. Whether it's Trevor Lawrence or C.J. Beathard, maybe the best message we just got was from the Philly Rooster live from Vegas. And all of his, uh, yes, it was a Philly Rooster, not the Philly Godfather, uh, live from Vegas and all his Las Vegas contacts. All right? They believe out there he's playing. And you can say what you want about Vegas, but they just know. So I I, I think you have to consider that um, when thinking about this game. Coming up on Sunday afternoon. Now, the two-minute drill. Brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers. Equal opportunity employer. Prime time. It's coming up right now. Let's check in with Joe Coward, who I'm guessing got a police escort to where (laughs) he's at right now. Because I just saw him in the building, uh, what, seven, eight, maybe ten minutes ago. Joey, where are you at? What's going on? What is up, Rick? You know how I roll. Uh, definitely pushing it, uh, as always. But, di- yeah, we're down here in uh, Riverside, and we're at Bold City Brewery. We're on Roselle Street. I just went through the traffic. Uh, I guess there will be people pouring out of uh, Everbank Stadium coming up in just a little bit with Clemson and uh, – Kentucky, but we are here on Roselle, which is definitely kind of the cool area, Riverside, Bold City Brewery. This is their production house. We were here last Friday. We're here this Friday for the 3 o'clock hour, take it until 6, which means they've got great smash burgers, pizza, you name it. They've got it along with all their brewery specialties. Uh, They've been doing it since 2008 here. It's the uh, oldest brewery in Duval. Joe, where are you? Sunday, Jaguars, Panthers. Uh, you know what? I heard what uh, the Philly Rooster said, and I totally agree. I've been paying attention to this line. It's been six, six and a half, which means even without knowing fully that Trevor's going to play, that they think they're going to win this ball game. But Bryce Young did go over 300 yards passing last week. This defense we know gives up a lot of yards, so you got to be careful. Uh, and, and running the football definitely is something that this team needs to do, has it done, uh, and hopefully they're going to get back to a point where they can do it. I like them to win the game, but hell, fellas, I've liked them three of the last four weeks to win the ball game and they haven't been able to do it all right joe what else is coming up over there this afternoon 
So we're going to get into the college football playoff. This will be our last chance, like you guys as well, to get into what happens between Washington and Texas, Michigan and Alabama. So we're going to drill down on that one big time, all the other bowl games, and then all the other playoff scenarios because you've got a lot on the line this week. Jacksonville has the easiest schedule in the AFC remaining. They need to win these ball games and make sure they secure a spot. Joe, a happy new year to you and yours. I know I'll see you Sunday at the bank. Have a lot of fun there with the show coming up. All right. Happy New Year, fellas. There he goes. Joe Cowart and company, they're coming up right now. You have a happy new year. The family's coming back from Disney. They are. They're on their way back right now, and then we're going to have uh, fun this weekend, and we will be here with you for a fifth quarter New Year's Eve. Hopefully talking about a victory. Rick, I enjoyed it this week, my friend. It was a lot of fun. My goal is to be sober by 1 o'clock on Sunday because I've been promising all week I'm going to go out and grab a taste. (laughs) I haven't. I've gone home after each and every show. That's going to change beginning in about five minutes. R.J. Saunders, appreciate the uh, production, young man. Loved it. Love you guys. He is Hacker Nation. I am Rick Ballou. We'll be back next week on our own shows. I'm on 6 to 8. Hacker takes over at 8 o'clock. Folks, have a safe weekend. Remember, a lot of accidents over the uh, over the new year. Be safe. Get an Uber. Grab a cab. Absolutely drink. Just please do not drive. <laughs>